Welcome to BioCentury This Week, the weekly podcast with BioCentury's editorial team. I'm Jeff Cranmer, one of the executive editors here at BioCentury, and today I'm joined by... I'm Simon Fishburn, editor-in-chief. Selena Koch, executive editor. And Karen Koch-Tusman, director of Biopharma Intelligence. On today's podcast, we'll talk about obesity mechanisms in the clinic, which overlap and which branch out. We'll have takeaways from our conversation with flagship pioneering's Nubar. He was on the BioCentury show in conversation with Simone last week. And we'll discuss a new platform study sponsored by the Scleroderma Research Foundation. But first, I'd just like to remind you, the East-West Biopharma Summit put on by BioCentury and Bay Helix is coming up in October. It's about six weeks away. You can register at BioCenturyEastWest.com. This year, it will be in Kendall Square. Last week was a significant week for obesity companies. New cardiovascular outcomes data for Novo's Wagovi showed a 20% reduction in the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events. Those data drove market cap gains of more than $60 billion for Novo and Lilly. Lilly ended the week valued at more than $500 billion. And both companies put out earnings last week. The earnings suggest Novo's semaglutide franchise and diabetes and obesity could reach $24 billion in sales this year. And Lilly's Manjaro has a similar growth trajectory. That drug alone could reach $5 billion in sales. And along the way, Novo slipped in a deal. We'll get to all of this. As I bring in Karen, Karen, you took a look at the obesity mechanisms that are being developed in the clinic. What did you find? Well, we're all familiar at this point with the incretin class of targets for obesity. That's um, the GLP-1 or GIP mimics. And those activate a particular type of biology. They stem hunger, and they also modulate glucose homeostasis. And these are the primary mechanisms by which they are thought to have their uh, weight loss effects. And so took a step back and looked at the clinical pipeline of things coming up behind that and said, what are the what I call physiological mechanisms of the different targets we're seeing? Of course, we're seeing plenty of other incretin mimics coming up behind. Um, I think that's over half of the clinical obesity pipeline at this stage. But if you look at the other molecular targets that companies are going after that are in the clinic, how do they act? Are they doing similar things or or different things than the incretin mimics? And so it was interesting to see that the majority of other targets, you know, things in the amylin, amylin receptor, the PYY, um, the TAS2R are still going to be primarily operating by the physiological mechanisms of decreasing appetite and modulating hormonal glucose control. But it was interesting to see what mechanisms branched out a bit beyond that, in particular, ones that decreased triglyceride levels uh, more directly. 
And of course, there's interest in mechanisms that target fat loss directly without perturbing muscle mass and perhaps even increasing it. So quite recently, one last week and one last month, we saw the big players in this field, Lilia Novo, announce acquisitions of smaller companies. Can you fit those companies' drugs into these pathways? Uh, yeah. So Lilia's takeout of Versanis, that is tapping a mechanism that is a bit further afield of the incretins, specifically by inhibiting the activin pathway. It's looking to decrease triglycerides and promote muscle growth, actually, instead of decreasing lean muscle mass. And so that is a, a more orthogonal mechanism that could bring a significant value, perhaps in combination with the incretins or perhaps on its own. And more recently, last week, uh, Novo acquired Canadian biotech Inversago. They have an agent that targets the CB1 receptor. And that mechanism is more tapping into appetite and glucose modulation. So more of that similar physiological mechanisms to the incretins. And that class has an interesting history. There was a CB1 receptor targeting agent that made it all the way in Europe and almost all the way in the US uh, back a couple of years ago. But I had central nervous system toxicity that ultimately got it withdrawn from the market. Uh, Inversago's agent is peripherally acting and so looking to avoid those adverse events. So I just think this is a really interesting time with, I think it's like a tectonic shift that's going on in obesity research or obesity drug development. And it's probably actually going to cascade into other areas as well. So what do I mean by that? So on the one hand, these drugs, which definitely now work, right? And they're also cardioprotective as we've you know, talk, talked about from, from recent data. So they've sort of de-risked it. It's now worth it for people to try and pursue these, these targets that they've interrogated before, because there's now sort of a feeling that you, you can actually get results. On the other hand, wow, that bar's been raised, right? Try doing a clinical trial to show better efficacy. That's got to be a massive, massive trial. So now you're really looking at, I guess, decreasing side effects, maybe preventing the rebound effect. I don't know, prevention. But the other part of it is, I think we've got to expect to see more of these just ending up in M&A. Like, who's going to take it the whole way? And so those two land grabs are just enormous, right? I, I think they are. And, and so Novo's data, the CVOT data was really important, right? Because this is how you take it from an aesthetic thing to, you know, really make the case for reimbursement for all of those payers out there. You're going to need these massive cardiovascular outcome studies for these new mechanisms. You're probably going to need a pharma on board to help you do that. Even Al Nylum very recently, right, who's now ascended the ranks of big biotechs who are independent and it's moving on to prevalent indications from rare. For hypertension, we just saw it do that um, deal with Roche because they really wanted to get that outcomes data ahead of, of approval. So probably this is going to continue to be an M&A game and in the hands of the big players for the foreseeable future, I would think. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Amgen fits in in all of this, right? Because they are a key competitor to watch. They have their own incretin candidate, AMG133, that had uh, some positive phase one data last year that people are excited to see more about. And they also have a mysterious new phase one candidate that taps other mechanisms 
we get into uh, what some of those are speculated to be in the story. And they are that sort of big biotech player that could potentially do this uh, all the way. But it'll be interesting to see, especially now with the CVOTs being such a value demonstrator for this class. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep doing it on this part. I'm going to keep asking that question of like, at what point do the other farmers need to be in there? And farmers and big biotechs, wherever you put Amgen in that. And so, yeah, Amgen has certainly already got, I'm going to go with a toehold, if not a foothold. And I, I want to talk about one more part of this tectonic shift, which is that we've already seen it sort of spill into other areas, molecules that work for NASH now. There's an adjacency with obesity. There will be other indications where there are these adjacencies, maybe of mechanisms or maybe of, of symptomology at least. So it's just actually going to be a really interesting area to see how this unfolds. And needless to say, the global impact is just huge. Last week on the BioCentury show, we had flagship pioneering founder and CEO Nubar Afian, and he and Simone talked about all manner of interesting things, lessons from the pandemic. Of course, Nubar was one of the people behind Moderna. Health in a pre-diagnostic state, AI and machine learning, disruptors in drug development. Simone, any takeaways from the conversation surprise you? Surprise me. Well, let me get into it a little bit. So first of all, I really want to say, I mean, Nubar is just one of the grand thinkers in our industry. And I think he's always actually been quite a grand thinker. I think he's now maybe got enough success behind him with Moderna and other things that he's actually in a position where he can bring more of these ideas to fruition or incubate them a little longer. It's not just that his ideas are innovative. Many VCs have really innovative programs going on there. A lot of them are very cutting edge and so on. What I think Nubar is doing right now is is thinking in terms of grand sociological or health impact across society. So he kind of is thinking in terms of the frontier of disease as protecting health in a pre-diagnostic state. He's not actually the first or only person. J&J has talked about disease interception for a long time. And he thinks about it as health security, preventing something before it happens. And the reason he uses this term security is if you think about physical security or military security, you know, your goal is to stop something from happening before it happens, not to treat it after it happens, right? He sort of talks about the fact that we talk about healthcare, but actually most of healthcare is disease care, not healthcare. (laughs) That's the way he thinks about it. So, um, you know, you asked me if anything surprised me. I can't say it surprised me specifically, but he did present some information that he hasn't disclosed before. And he gave some really great examples of how he or his portfolio companies or his researchers are operating in this idea of pre-diagnosis. And one of them is he talked about a project in NASH, which is looking at biomarkers. And what he's trying to do is find a signal that somebody is like a year ahead of diagnosis. What he says is normally what people are doing is they're finding signals for late stage NASH, but earlier, right? And what he's trying to do is find signals before it sets in. And what what he said is he's finding early manifestations of pre-disease in NASH that look nothing like the later diseases, what he says, the pathways are different, the targets are different. And so he's very much interested in the pre-NASH condition. 
I'll give you one other example that he gave, which was in cancer. And I think he's got a company called, a portfolio company called Harbinger Health, or flagship does. And they're looking at blood-based biological signatures. A lot of people are looking for blood biomarkers. And what he says is that most of those tests are trying to detect late stage cancer early. And he's like, rather than looking for stage three or stage four cancer, what you really want to do is find stage one. And then he's like, actually, what if you could find stage zero cancer? And to end, you know, just to round it off, what he he created was this, he, he talked about polyps. He says, we do this all the time physically with polyps. You find a polyp and you take it out. You don't know if it's going to be cancerous, but you don't want to hang around and find out. So you take the polyp out. And so what he's trying to do is look for molecular polyps. So that sort of, I think, is a way that he's found to sort of draw an analogy in a world that people know about. But I, anyway, a lot of very interesting things going on there, yeah. You can check out Simone's conversation with Nubar on the BioCentury show on our website, of course, or you can go to our YouTube channel and find it right there. Now, the Scleroderma Research Foundation is looking to bring the platform trial model to Scleroderma. They've launched the phase two conquest trial to encourage clinical development in this rare disease. Selena, I'd like to bring you in now. Why is it important to have a platform trial for a disease like this? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, companies that have considered this indication just because you can see that, you know, across autoimmune diseases, there are sometimes shared mechanisms. You might think a drug you're developing for something might work there or a lot of, you know, several other indications. But as companies prioritize their choices of indications, it never quite seems to make the cut, likely because of its rarity. It's not a big enough market to make it financially worth it. So this is an indication where there are things being developed that might be useful, but not quite enough business motivation to do it. And what this can do is help lower the cost for at least finding that initial signal, which could be a catalyst. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about this is it's being pushed by Luke Evnen. And Luke Evnen is the co-founder of the venture firm MPM Capital, and he himself is also a patient. And so Luke knows from both sides of the coin, he knows what it takes to start a company and care about the market size of, you know, the indication and so on. And he also, as a patient, knows how incredibly frustrating it must be to never really make the grade, uh, even though, you know, it's, a, it's an important disease. And so I think the platform trial, the way it's structured is that there's a single control arm. And normally companies don't want to compare their molecules head to head against other companies' molecules. But in this case, the trial is constructed so that actually it just might allow companies to de-risk their molecule using fewer patients and it'll cost them a little bit less. And I mean, he, Luke talked in the story, he spoke to our colleague, Lauren Martz. He talked in the story about how incredibly complicated it is to set up a platform trial. He's like, oh, I learned, I learned a lot with that. But with a lot of that logistics taken care of, he sort of seems to want to create a framework where companies can come in, test their molecules, and if they get enough signal, then they can make the decision to pursue drug development on that molecule, which is sort of how I, how I read this. I, and he said Sanofi uh, has already signed on. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a very interesting story as well. So, you know, any, any additional points? 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if and how many company additional companies sign on. There, there aren't too many platform trials like this, right? There's the Healy ALS trial, and I think that one has been quite successful. When they launched that one, I want to say back in 2019-ish, they got probably five or six companies pretty quickly to come on board. And it has some of the same rationale behind it, more of a signal finding study than, you know, a registrational one or something. Um, but Perlinia, Clean, Biohaven were, were among them. And they were testing compounds and other indications. And then, you know, this made it slightly easier to add ALS to that to that list. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so important this because, you know, you've got Healy. If this works and starts to generate molecules and interest and, and real drug development programs, you can really see other patient foundations stepping up and trying to get through that sort of activation energy of starting a trial in the first place. We have been writing for so long about the need, and, and Janet Woodcock at FDA actually for so long has been calling for more platform trials for more efficiency in drug development and so on. And there's just too many things stacked against it. So the more that they can re remove those hurdles, it really would be nice to see this sort of, uh, I don't know, precipitate some kind of move in that direction. Yeah, I think it was it was one of the things coming out of the pandemic. It was just so clear that these trials are so useful. They work. There was the recovery trial and there was this expectation that it would really take off. And yet it it just hasn't. OK, well, Lauren's story, of course, up on biocentry.com. We will be watching this trial. We'll be curious if some of our listeners might consider putting their drugs into this trial. Here's hoping. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. Karen, Selena, Simone, as always, thanks for coming on the show. And Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for BioCentury this week. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. <laughs>